the thing in your thighs when you're lonely at night Scroll through your phone, getting high off the light Numb in your chest when you close the blinds Repose in time and you tell yourself you're fine Hello everyone and welcome to Film Fallout A monthly podcast about film and occasionally television uh, We got a special uh, Fantasia Fest episode We were going to talk about that uh, Unfortunately Christopher Cross won't be here But I do have my old friend Conti Fantasia Fest, uh, last year we did it, um, the online edition was, I mean, particularly smooth, surprisingly, for, uh, for something they'd never done before, so it was nice to go back, uh, try to have that experience once again, of course it was fine, but I didn't get to as many movies as I did last year, but I did want to bring you on to help sort of, I don't know, mildly moderate the discussion. Yeah. Um, so I did watch seven movies, though. And I guess uh, I'll I'll let you pick the first one we're going to talk about. We'll see how much I have to say about it. Okay. Um, yeah, you sent me the list of the films you saw, and some of them sound pretty interesting. But the one that that seems the most interesting is uh, uh this documentary, Alien on Stage. Weirdly enough, I think you picked the movie that is probably the least interesting. Really? Oh wow! <laughs> uh, no, it, it's it's funny because uh, I picked the movie. I mean, based off just the name alone, Alien on Stage. At the same time, I don't know if you heard about this, but I think it was in like there was like a New Jersey like middle school or something that had put on a stage production of Alien, and it was this big thing because it was all these middle school. Oh yeah, I remember that was like I went viral for like a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it, was, it sounded huge. Like it sounded amazing, and uh, I so I, I pretty much chose the movie because I was under the impression it was going to be about that, and I should have done more research because uh, the movie ended up being about this like London uh, production where these uh, bus drivers in uh, Dorset, which I guess is just outside of London. Uh, they decided one day they wanted to put on a stage production of Alien, and really, it's about as simple as that. Wow! It is that I think it is nine. Is it ninety minutes? Is it, it is eighty? Yeah, so almost ninety minutes. Uh, and you know, you're seeing these people who don't usually put on any sort of like stage production at all. Uh, any a fairly impressive version of that, just based on what they can do. Yeah. And it's something where you sort of applaud their ability to put on a production rather than, I don't know, the aspect of it being an actual entertaining documentary. Because it isn't. It, it, it just... It, 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 <laughs> it like, isn't. Like, Very clearly, it, just it, it is not an entertaining documentary. No, no. That, that's the problem. Is it, You should be having fun with it. Like, And it's not that entertaining. It, you're watching them... You know, you're watching them have a decent time. You know, they get kind of stressed out about it. It's exactly what you'd expect this movie to be, and and it's that. Uh, it it was fine. I, I I really am not sure what I can add to it unless you have any questions. Um, well, it it sounds like this is a genuinely unremarkable movie. So I I don't think that there's much for me to. <laughs> no, and that, that's it. No, it, it seriously it was like it was. A, this was the movie I actually started Fantasia Fest with. It was the first one. I just put it on because I was like, whatever, it's fine. We'll just we need one to you know break the ice, and then I'll dive into the rest of Fantasia Fest. Okay. And I feel like th- this was the movie that almost stopped that immediately. That made me go, I don't know if we're <laughs> going to keep this doing right this. Now. Wow, shit. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah, Alien on stage. What what a movie! Uh, pick again. <laughs> better this time. Oh man, um, what about this one? This one sounds kind of interesting. Uh, ultrasound. Ultrasound. Uh, this was something I hadn't heard a whole lot about. Um, I had. I saw a bit of the cast list. You know, as a bit. It seemed a little New York based, uh, although I guess Vincent Carthizer, I just think of him because of Mad Men, so yeah. that was the only New York connection. Uh, Tunde Adebimpe, who I think I just watched in the first season of Search Party the other day. He was in uh, The Girlfriend Experience, the 
second season uh, and lead singer of TV on the radio. Yeah. But the uh, the movie was sort of promising this Twilight Zone-esque story, and I'll read a bit of the uh, synopsis here. After his car breaks down, Glenn spends one hell of an odd night with a married couple, setting into motion a chain of events that alter their lives, plus those of several random strangers. Uh, it's it's a hard movie to really talk about because the the a bulk of the movie is sort of a a turn on what you think the first half of the movie is. Uh, okay. And by not being able to talk about it, it really like renders uh, the conversation like sort of mute. Yeah. Uh, but it's I will say I was surprisingly satisfied with the way uh, that the science that Twilight Zoney aspect of the movie turned out. Yeah. It is pretty surprising um you don't go too long into the movie uh thinking like what like what am i doing here why am i watching this movie once it gets to that point it really feels worth it and uh surprisingly uh well written i mean it's directed by rob schroeder who he produced a few movies before this but it looks like this is his directorial debut so that's pretty uh impressive and i no i i was really surprised with it i I enjoyed it quite a bit, and for a first movie, I, I don't know how you could be, you know, more proud. I mean, I'm I'm definitely a big fan of Vincent Carthaiser. I mean, yeah, he he's really good in it. Um, there's a character actor, Bob Stevenson, who's in it, who's worked with like Fincher a few times. Uh, he was in Lady Bird, although I couldn't recall the actual the role that he's in. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that's the dude from uh from Twin Peaks. There we go. Oh, he yeah, he's in the return, yeah. Right. Yeah, and uh, no, he's he's fantastic in it. He gets a really like really good role, uh, and so it's nice to see that they're also you know giving some character actors some actual like you know big roles to play with, which is nice. Yeah, uh, he's definitely one of those actors that just kind of shows up in everything, and it's always nice to see him. But it's cool that he shows up in this flick. Yeah, yeah, and he, you know, it's something substantial. It's not just like a sort of walk-on thing. As, you know, as much as I love Twin Peaks: The Return, and as much as I love him in it, he's not. No, yeah, he's like, in one episode, and he's in it for like a small portion of it. Oh, you know, exactly. Yeah, you know? but it, like you said, it's it's nice to see him, and it, it was a uh, it's really cool to see him in this. But yeah, ultrasound. Um, I mean, I I can't imagine this. This still felt pretty low budget, despite the fact that it had these actors in it. Um, so probably VOD only, but if you ever yeah. get a chance, um, you know, it's definitely worth checking out. I'll definitely check it out just because I've, I've again, I've, i like most of the cast, what it looks like. We've been the uh, Rainy Kuali. Also, Donated Bempe is, is pretty great. I haven't seen him in Search Party, but I, I, I know he's like been getting into acting, but I didn't know that he's like full on, like showing up in like multiple projects now, which is pretty cool. I feel like I made it sound like he's in a lot, and maybe he is. Uh, I mean, for you know, a, a former like, never I mean, still probably a musician, but yeah, uh, like, like moving into a different uh, occupation, like acting. I yeah. guess that's not too bad. But yeah, no, he's good. Yeah, it's always interesting seeing like musicians parlay into acting, mostly because like so much of being art, like a. A, a artist and having like a public facing self is like performance in, like already so it's like I always feel like it's kind of a natural fit like actors like Billy Idol and like Tom Waits and just like I don't know countless musicians who like transitions to action almost like into acting almost seamlessly yeah to have the jump right like you already have a bit of that you know performative like bone in you so it's theoretically you wouldn't think it's that hard to to jump into uh but then i mean we we do see the people who really successfully do it tom waits in particular yeah no, tom waits is, is incredible it's a great example of uh, a musician who knows how to act their ass off all right next one um what about this one uh mad god it's a stop motion flick right yes so i am actually going to pair this together with junkhead because those were the two uh, stop motion animated movies that it, it felt like they were going for the same thing. Okay. Unfortunately for Junkhead, uh, a movie that, uh, if I recall, based off the actual uh, write up on the Fantasia Fest website, uh, had a finished version of the movie like five years ago that did premiere uh, at Fantasia Fest, but I guess there was um, some word that people were pretty restless with the movie at, I think, 
the movie I think was over two hours. Oh shit! At that point, and the guy who directed it, I I believe he did a lot of it himself. Uh, it's another one where I I don't want to compare it to Alien on stage in the way that um, I think it's like particularly bad. Yeah, it's a I think uh, what Alien on stage should have done is it should have made it um, it should have made us feel impressed that we were watching these people do these things. Yeah. And with Junkhead, I was impressed that I was able to see this guy create this vision and create this movie. So, so Junkhead um, is also stop motion, too. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, but then, you know, Junkhead's great and all, but Mad God was also the last movie that I saw. Uh, and Mad God sort of just really tore Junkhead to shreds <laughs> in terms of something being like a successful type of this... Uh, stop motion film about the you know like a, a descent into like madness or hell or something like that yeah uh, where junkhead you know it it's nice it's it's cool to watch mad god really feels like you're seeing something else that nobody really thinks of for a movie that is 83 minutes long oh shit i think Short. uh people have been uh, phil Tippett, who was a um i guess he worked for lucasfilm as like a special effects um supervisor yeah he did stop motion stuff on like on, on the old Star Wars flick, so like he's definitely he's got that down for a long time now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and, and I guess this was his passion project, and to work on it for thirty to forty years. Shit. Uh, and he put out like pieces of the movie at a time. I think for a while. Okay. I think he got up to about maybe halfway through this movie, and then, and then we got the movie. Then we got the full thing, and it is is stunning to watch this. It, yeah. It really feels like a nightmare, in <laughs> the, the best way possible, uh, and it goes through so many different uh, twists and turns. Um, the movie is essentially as follows: is, this is the write-up for it. Follow the assassin through a forbidding world of tortured souls, decrepit bunkers, and wretched monstrosities forged from the most primordial horrors of the subconscious mind. Every set, creature, and effigy in this macabre masterpiece is handcrafted and painstakingly animated using traditional stop-motion techniques. Mad God is a labor of love, a testament to the power of creative grit, and an homage to the timeless art of stop-motion animation. It, it's, uh... It, I mean, it, it feels like it's almost underselling itself. Yeah. It, it's insane. <laughs> it, it's a movie that, um... I think if you're on board to see something that does feel experimental in its storytelling and uh to see like creatures like uh that are so disturbing and macabre uh that you can't believe that you're you're seeing it and it really makes you like think of uh back when we talked about uh into the spider-verse yeah i believe i said something along the lines of like it, it makes you think of how animation it should make you feel like you you can't do certain things live action you need oh, animation sure, yeah. to be able to like expand your horizon to, to go further than you can with live action and that's what mad god does i mean that that's a that's definitely high praise i'm like watching the the trailer right now as, as you're talking and like i i can definitely already see that we're like yeah this is deranged looking yeah it's it's messed up and it's it, it, it's stunning though it, it's uh I started it in the middle of the afternoon one day, and I, for some reason I just knew that that wasn't the time. Yeah. Like that wasn't <laughs> going to be the right moment. It, it starts off, and you know what you're getting into. Yeah. Right away. It has like one of those intense kind of intros. Yeah, yeah I, and that, but it doesn't let up. The movie does not let up. It just keeps going, and it's a nonstop 83 minutes, and I'm. Uh, we should all be happy that we got this, <laughs> and I just hope it gets like, a, a th some form of theatrical release if people feel safe to go see something go see that I definitely want to like I'm looking at it now and see if there's a way to like actually like view it because obviously it's not like I think they, they sell it on their website but I know uh, it's it's playing at Fantasia Fest I, and I know that they have an online version like, like of on uh, Fantasia Fest coming out, where they've picked specific movies. I don't know whether it's going to be a part of that. Yeah, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was. 
So, yeah. No, I definitely want to check this out. Mad God. It looks fucking deranged. Yeah. Hey, Alright, so, next one. Oh, wait, so, so that, that included oh, sorry, Junkhead that's... too, right? And so you said Junkhead was just like... Nah. Yeah, Junkhead... It, it's it's impressive. It's just not Mad God. <laughs> the problem. Yeah, it's hard to have like that uh that juxtaposition. Yeah, yeah well, exactly. It, it's... It's hard to go. I watched Junkhead and went, "That was good," you know. Like, it. I wasn't blown away, but I recognized how much work someone had put into it. Yeah. And that work made me think. Like, that appreciation probably elevated the movie to a place where I don't think it would have been had. I don't know. That animation not been so good. Okay, so you like the, the animation for for Junkhead was is a bit more rough versus the. Uh... It's a bit rough. It's it's also a bit um, it's it's fluid in this way where the the texture seems off. Like it's something is just a miss every once in a while. Oh yeah. Some it, it occasionally feels like someone who didn't spend like you know decades of their life uh, doing like stop motion animation before this uh, made something. It was just this guy who made it, and you know that's that's great. Like that's awesome. Um, it's just, it's not, it's unfortunately just not Mad God. Yeah. No, I see, I see what you mean, because I'm, like, looking at some of the, the footage of it now, and it does look, like, a bit more uh, rough around the edges. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. It's totally, that's okay. That is totally okay for one person having done this. You do not have the, the skills or the resources to be able to make something, like, as crazy as Mad God. But that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that the thing that he made wasn't good. It's very good. <laughs> it's just been overshadowed severely. All right. So we talked about Alien on stage. Ultra. We talked about ultrasound. We talked about Junkhead and Mad God. What about um, Agnes? Agnes was a movie that, uh, if I'm recalling this correctly, premiered at Sundance. Uh, written and directed by Mickey Reese, who I knew almost nothing about, but Mickey Reese has been directing movies for the past fifteen, maybe more years. Holy shit! Yeah, and he's banging out movies like two a year, I think. At one point, it's it's madness. I don't know how that guy does it, <laughs> uh, but from just who has that time? Yeah, I guess, I guess somebody who's who's named mickey reese who lives and breathes <laughs> filmmaking uh but he he um from what i've heard the people who love his stuff this movie is the is, it's his top like he, he's finally reached that stage in his career where um you know he, he's peaked like he's finally able to tell the story that i think he wants to tell okay and he's able to tell it in the way that he wants to because a sort of like ultrasound I can't speak to up to a certain point of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but the first half is a, rumors of demonic possession at a religious convent prompt a church investigation into the strange uh, goings-on among its nuns. A disaffected priest and his neophyte are confronted with temptation, bloodshed, and a crisis of faith. Now, a lot of people were upset at the movie because of the turn that it takes. Okay. Uh, away from the uh, description of the film that I just read out, so it doesn't it doesn't go. In the, I mean, it it sounds like a pretty straightforward like demonic horror like possession film. Exactly, but it's I think it is more uh, involved and interested in faith, um, in particular to the way that it uh, stunts growth and it represses. Uh, people and the feelings that they have okay uh misogyny is a big one that's in there um it 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 grows into something else that after the first half it goes into this a a calm a calmer horror film and one that's more real uh the the real life horrors after something like this happens um and if you're able to open up to the idea that uh, some people say this is essentially two movies crammed into one, if 
if you can do the second movie, if you feel like you're on board with it, you're gonna you're gonna love the end of it. You're gonna love the way it connects. Uh, and I really really like the movie. Oh okay. Uh, no, it, it yeah, it, it is really interesting. I don't think it's um, gonna be easy to get a lot of people into. I don't think it is like formally um, experimental in any way, but the way that it tells its story, I think, can be uh, patience testing for some. But that doesn't uh, take away any of its power, and I think uh, Agnes was uh, a solid horror movie, pretty solid. That's yeah, it definitely looks interesting. I haven't seen like any of the like actual footage from it, but the the cast is pretty interesting. Like I, I fuck with like Chris Sullivan and like Sean Gunn and some of the people involved. Yeah, it's it's pretty eclectic. Like it's surprising the the names that are in this movie. Um, like Rachel True. Like it's it's cool to have a lot of people oh, in this. Yeah, that Rachel True's in this too. Are, are just like sort of to the side of what we usually watch, and then they pop up in something, and you see why they're they're great. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean. You, you mentioned this guy's like filmography, and I was like looking it up about him like directing a movie every year, and it's it's pretty intense. It's like very much like Joe Swanberg esque, where it's just like nonstop like. But it seems like he's apparently just been going for his own thing. Like it's not a he's not following some movement or anything. It's just he was doing what he wanted to do. I mean, honestly, which is really cool. Yeah, that's, that's genuinely impressive. I mean, it, it, he seems like somebody who's like hopping around from genre to genre. It, it always seems like people like like that always find their kind of break in horror just because like that's the first time they get more money to do shit versus like everything else seems more like character based or like yeah. I, I mean, people use horror in a, as a way to explore other things, and because they could use the exploitation factor of it, that got them more money. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like this has been a guy who's ever had a whole ton of money to work with <laughs> uh not in a bad way agnes there's definitely you know some money involved but um i also don't think he particularly cares for it either at least that's the way that it, it uh it shows in the movie i mean good for him if you're able to do it the way that you want to do it with as little money as possible then you're okay with that like go for it yeah, if you're able to find, like, your kind of niche like that and just, like, not have to be worried about, like, again, like, like you're saying, like, not having to be worried about money, it's, like, that's that's a very good position to be in, genuinely, because it's, like, hard to find that in the film industry. It's hard to, like, find your, your little, like, pocket where you can just kind of make whatever you want to make with, like, freedom and not have having to be, like, married to finance, like, some sort of like financial element that kind of controls your entire career. Well, yeah, I mean, the film industry is sort of just based around having to please, you know, other people to get the thing that you want to make made. And by the time it comes out, it's, is it still yours? Right? Like, yeah. Is there something left of your vision? Yeah. Capitalism has definitely, I mean, films already like a, a super capitalistic art, but it's definitely gotten worse over the years to the point where it's like, there's, there's far less films like, being made similar to, to, to the, I guess to like what this guy was doing which was just going out of his way to make movies about whatever the fuck he wanted to he made a movie about there's a film called Alien and it's a reimagining of the early years of Elvis and Priscilla Presley's marriage that sounds great yeah it's just like weird shit like that like no, no one's really like I don't know there isn't much room for people someone, to do weird shit like that. No, no. If someone can give you like fifty to a hundred thousand dollars to at least get the the equipment to make something that people will sit through because you have the expertise to do something with it, and you can live doing that, just keep doing it. Like that. That's great. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Good for this guy. All right, next one. Um, we got two left. I think. Yeah, we're all going to the World's Fair, which I heard about for, at well, Digital Sundance because it, it was at Sundance twenty twenty one, but I didn't, I didn't actually get a chance to see it because. What did you hear about it? That's what I want to know. If you remember, um, I just remember seeing it on on the lineup and reading like the the plot and all that stuff and like 
being kind of interested to watch it and then just I only ended up watching one movie from from Sundance 2021 and it was Judas and the Black Messiah just because I was like I, I want to see this and I don't want to wait till it comes out in theaters yeah yeah but um all right yeah no so i i, I didn't really have much feelings about it one way or the other and i didn't hear much about it because like i don't know there because it was digital there wasn't much of like the what's the word there wasn't much of the the word of mouth thing that normally happens at film festivals happening like there wasn't any film that people were talking much about like it, it was strange no because i mean with sundance it is it's the literal open it's that community when you're in was it is a park city yeah 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 uh when you're in park city and you are talking with other people around you that is the conversation and that conversation somehow leaks out elsewhere because you know somebody yeah. hears somebody else talk about it and then you know they do this sort of this review comes out and then that sort of like informs other people's opinions on something so on and so forth uh no yeah for sure like and you know. and that just with the online aspect of these festivals uh that's essentially gone it, it, it's it's come down to we're left with the reviews now and yeah unless those people who wrote those reviews talk about the movie outside of that uh we're not going to hear about the movie really i did hear enough about we're all going to the world's fair though to know that uh there was something going on with it that people were impressed by okay and the thing is i also didn't know anything about it Apparently, it was like a millennial horror movie, or sorry, a Gen Z horror movie, and I didn't know what that entailed. I didn't know what it was. I was just like, sure, well, whatever. We'll watch the movie. We'll yeah, what it is out. a Gen Z horror film? Right? Like, I don't know what that means anymore. Uh, late on a cold night somewhere in the U.S., teenage Casey decides to take the World's Fair Challenge and embrace the uncertainty it promises. After the initiation, she documents the changes that may or may not be happening to her adding her experiences to the shuffle of online clips available for the world to see. Now, that I had I hadn't read that before and that sort of accurately describes what the movie is. Okay. Uh but I think Fantasia Fest had uh, this running thing where after a certain point in their movies, uh it changes into something else where the first half of this truly feels like it could start off like a uh, a found footage type horror movie where we are watching these like kids sort of become slightly unhinged because they took this world's fair challenge that we don't really know anything about uh we just know that they find themselves influenced to do these weird things to themselves and we don't know why and a lot of the movie does leave you hanging as to why people do the things that they do uh, and that can be pretty frustrating. Uh, but when you get to this portion of the movie and it sort of explains why this is happening, it becomes about something else. And I don't... Okay. I don't I'm not sure it works. I get it. <laughs> like, you can get something. I understand it's fine. I just don't think it's for me. Like, where, where it came down to. If I'm going okay. to the movie and I think, like, I'd like to see, like, the way... Um, these movements like these online movements work and change the way that we look at you know the generation I don't think that's so far removed from anything that we saw in our generation in the way of uh, you know I guess not necessarily for us but I mean creepypasta was a thing I guess yeah. you'd be able to connect it to that in, in a way I don't think it's that far uh, that far off um, but it, it seems to become uh a movie about the way that we're like distanced from each other I, I i don't i don't know if that's uh it doesn't seem like it's necessarily like endorsing the the, the gen z or online lifestyle that's happening right now uh, yeah but it is it has a story to tell um and again you, if you're not on board probably by the, like the 45 minute mark it, it's not going to happen but if you yeah. if you're able to open yourself uh up to see wherever the story goes because it doesn't just end based off of what you're led into uh then you might find something here that is for you all right i mean that's interesting to know i mean 
hearing the words Gen Z horror film is already kind of like a, a, a bit of a red flag just because um, most filmmakers and writers don't really know what like what's going on in Gen Z's head. So like, and the fact that you, you said that like it it takes a turn and is not a fan of like quote unquote Gen Z culture just makes me feel like it's it's like adult people writing about what they think kids are doing or going through it, it's, and it's always just like a bad like yeah it's just, it, it, the perspective confuses me because by the time we get to the end i don't know what perspective uh, we've been leaning towards but it makes me feel like we've been watching it from the like the eyes of someone else that doesn't care really uh and it it makes me wonder why we got to this point um and i mean it's not like any of gen z i mean to be honest i don't think they're going to particularly care for the movie. It, the movie yeah. has its own pace. It can be very slow. There are long portions of the movie where you're just watching one of these kids do something to themselves. And mm. you, you're not really sure why for the most part. And you might not know why by the end of it. It's, it the movie just keeps going. And I'm not saying uh, that I didn't uh, like some of it. I'm just saying that... Uh, that the generation that you're making a movie about, I don't know, might not care. <laughs> so who's it for? I don't know. Yeah, it's probably for for like older people who are like trying to understand Gen Z and just have no clue what Gen Z actually is going through. So they're just like, I don't know. And they won't know any more leaving the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a it's mystery. Not... Yeah, I mean that, that's definitely like. There's nothing. I don't think there's anything wrong with with horror films that like leave more to the imagination. But like when it comes to like talking about a generation that was like clearly isn't your own, and then like especially like younger kids, it's just always like off the mark. And like those are always kind of the things that I'm like the least interested in seeing. Cause it's like oh, you don't know at all what this group of kids or or this whole group of of society is experiencing because you're not that group of society. And then like it most be mostly becomes speculative or like worse it becomes like preachy yeah because you're, it's like you're making a movie based off of a curiosity and this storytelling is apparently you like sort of going through that um yeah and it feels like there there could be a portion where we're like they're trying to understand something about these people but it just loses it like it just goes off in <laughs> another direction and you're wondering why and i uh i couldn't i couldn't come to <laughs> any sort of conclusion as to why it made sense i feel like that wouldn't be a problem if if they didn't try to understand gen z in the first place and it was just like fuck it who cares about it let's just do our own thing but like i don't know that's why it's every time like there's a film about like gen z in any way shape or form i just immediately start like preparing myself mentally to like see some something that is like clearly so out of touch with like the way like children live their lives nowadays like let them tell their own stories it, it's so yeah i feel like we our generation somehow just got the movies that were about us in a way i mean of course for some reason i'm thinking of the two documentaries uh or in a sense that have to do with uh skate culture mining the gap uh skate kitchen um betty in a sense i didn't get to watch too yeah. much of it but those seem to be about something else they they were you know about cultures that the filmmakers might not necessarily have understood, aside from uh, Bing Lu and Mining the Gap, he was one of the uh, subjects of the movie. But it, yeah. it, it's like they there was a genuine curiosity, and they got to explore whatever that is. Uh, and yeah, that's a feat. Like it's a feat, but they they accomplished something, and it made people who were part of that feel understood. Yeah, th- th- I think that's the important part too, especially with stuff like Betty, where it's like this show is about these people and then having those people be involved with the creative process so that like it doesn't just seem like something like like fantasies of of what some like 40 year old person is thinking that 20 year olds and unders are, are living through right now like or what their lives are like or how they talk or how they speak like yeah and just getting it completely wrong like and sort of like pushing away everybody else yeah it's kind of in that way it reminds me of like juno where it's like adults writing kids is always a problem like it's always that's always been an issue like adults writing kids have always been like and and kids obviously being broad because like that can include teenagers but like adults writing teenagers is always like a problem because it's like as much as they 
as much as adults are going to study and like try to like understand that shit it's like teenagers exist in their own kind of little world and bubble with their own shorthand and language that is very unique to like them and it's like you're gonna you're gonna blow it if you're like you just don't make (laughs) yeah yeah and i mean there are things that when we're that age and we see something that's about us for some reason we don't necessarily like understand that it's not for us yeah like it it is about it's for other people about us pretending that it's like i don't know there's some form of like authenticity to it yeah i I don't want to bring up like the I feel like the elephant in the room of euphoria. I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily know how you feel about it. Uh, um, I, I feel like I've talked uh, to a certain extent about it on the show, but my, uh, my thought process is, is that it like, it somehow mistakenly captured something for a lot of young kids enough times or like for the most part that it feels uh, real in that like get in your head kind of way. Yeah, I, I don't think it's it feels real at all. But that's kind of its strength. I don't like. I don't really dig it because it's just like when I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is just like R-rated Degrassi. Yeah, yeah. Um, with like more music and like fun cinematography. Um, but I think that's kind of its strength. It's like it is like super like pulpy and like it's very much a soap opera and it knows it is. And I think that's why it's it that one, like euphoria was able to connect with people. And, and I, I, I think I'm, I meant more of like a, there's a, a heightened like reality in the head of someone who's going through yeah. something that is, you don't necessarily, or if you saw it from the outside, it wouldn't seem that big a deal. But, uh, when you're a kid, things just feel like the end of the world all the time. Yeah. Uh, at least for those of us that, were mentally ill and maybe didn't realize it but it, it's yeah and and that uh the show does a, a decent enough job at that but i always uh get curious when talking about um youth and the way that they're affected by movies or tv that come out um and i mean at this point i feel like euphoria is the it, it's it feels like the line like you're on board with it and the way that it's yeah. telling something, or you're really not. No, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I don't think the, the show is particularly great, but they definitely like they they hit they're hitting the right notes that like people are actually like continually watching it, and like it's not entirely like accurate to like what Gen Z is experiencing, but also like it doesn't need to be because of how heightened it is. Yeah, I don't know. They, they they've definitely found like they they have the right formula for that like for that show like. For what the what they want to tell, yeah, right. yeah. Okay, I think we're on the last one. Is that right? Or am I wrong? Yeah, it should be. Um, what's the last one? Uh, Wonderful Paradise. Okay, this will be quick. All right, <laughs> Takashi Miike. You know who he is? Yes. I'm not gonna pretend that Takashi Miike is the only Japanese director who makes uh, Japanese movies that are really um, out there, offbeat weird i feel like that would yeah. be us being like really like close-minded uh my problem is i literally He's definitely the most like w- most visible oh yeah yeah internationally yeah um but i couldn't think of anything else there's i had the hardest time separating the idea that this wasn't someone trying to make a takashi Miike movie it's fun it's it, it's truly wild. I had a good time with it. A lot of it makes no sense. Um, you don't know why things are happening the way that they are. They just do. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason for it. Um, the story it's telling is it just you know what it is, but it doesn't matter. And you don't know how all these like things necessarily are going to connect. But it's a good time. But it's also not really original in that way. It, it's weird that we've gotten to a, a point in cinema where I see something like Wonderful Paradise, which 20 years ago we would have all thought was the, the most fun, absurd thing we would have found. Uh, but we have, like, broken that uh, level of absurdity now. Like, you need to go higher. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how Adult Swim and, like, and Takashi Miike... Uh, 
among the internet now, they have gone overboard in terms of uh, how high you can go with absurdity. Yeah. And just and having to kaiju fight uh, in the midst of some like weird family reunion party that is what this movie is essentially about. Not the kaiju fight <laughs> that just randomly happens. It's, yeah. It doesn't seem that weird anymore. <laughs> I, I'm not that sh- makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I'm just not shocked by it. And I feel like the movie should be kind of shocking. Not in a way that I'm offended. Just in a way that's like, that's I, I can't believe that's happening. And now, I, I mean, I can even think back of, like, House. Like, you go back to think of House. Like, yeah. that movie's still, like... How did that happen? That movie's still, like, insane. Yeah, yeah, it, right? It's just, you don't understand how it happened. And I watch Wonderful Paradise, and I go, well, I get it. I, I know what this is now. And that's, uh... I, I feel like that's sad. Yeah, it, it's kind of sad. I'm sad by it. it this, sh- this should be a fun movie. I, I know what you mean. Like, the whole, like, that whole kind of, like, language of, like, absurdity has been, like so popularized and like stretched from like you mentioned like adult like adults from aesthetics and like eric andre and all this shit like that that has become so overdone that like it's i guess making something that is more that's something that really stands out in an absurdist way like requires a lot of effort nowadays or a lot of like it requires a lot more than just like being absurd like on on a surface level or in a way that doesn't feel inventive yeah, there, there. I mean, there's got to be a a direction for it. There, like one point to it all in a way. We watch Eric Andre's show. He's, he's satirizing like the late night shows, like the daytime variety show. That's a consistent yeah. like thing that is happening every time you watch it. Uh, and of course, that will just go straight off the rails. But you know, that's what it is going for. Uh, and just general weirdness now, it, it no longer cuts it. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I, I a, a good example of that is I um what's his name? Flying Lotus's flick, uh Oh Kuso. Kuso. Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel like is a good example of like being absurdist in a way that like feel like truly feels like like it, it like shocking or not even just shocking, but like it truly feels like you're watching something you haven't seen before. Yeah, I mean I mean totally it, it's I mean, I per- I thought it was just gross. <laughs> I don't have usually have like a uh, you know a weak stomach or anything like that. Uh, it's a particularly gross movie, but at the same time, it that's that's what it's going for. That's yeah. th- That's what's happening, and you haven't seen anything like that really. And uh, regardless of how it works, it that's bold. Yeah, it's a bummer that uh, sounds like this film couldn't figure out the the whole. I, I, absurdist I aspect or how to like I don't know how to elevate that absurdist aspect I, I think it could have worked 20 years ago it, if, if it could have worked a while ago and we would have had a, a joyous time with it yeah I can't believe I didn't even think up uh, this just reminds me of Happiness of the Katakuris which was the Takashi Miike movie I was thinking of it <laughs> almost feels exactly like that movie I don't know if you've ever seen it uh, I haven't it's about a hotel that's just off of like this highway but it's also connected to this like graveyard and these people like come in and it becomes like this weird uh murder mystery horror musical it's incredible yeah and you you hear that you watch the movie uh and it is it's so much fun um and i guess wonderful paradise just couldn't capture that and yet i still don't feel like it's necessarily a bad movie it's just one that's not it's not up to snuff it's not there Uh, that's unfortunate okay we have reached the end of the fantasia fest portion if you would like we can talk about a couple things that we've been watching yeah sure i mean I feel like I've been talking a lot, so if you have something in mind, please, by all means. Um, I've been like, I haven't really watched much new new things or like things okay. that are like, I haven't been, yeah. 
I was going to the movies for a little bit for a while, and then I stopped uh, just because of, like, there's not really a movie theater that's in proximity to me, but I've been, like, watching stuff that either I missed or stuff that, like, I haven't seen in a while. Like, I recently watched, um... Yeah, I recently watched... I'm, I'm actually still in the middle of it, of, of watching, like, Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country. Yeah. I started watching it last year, and then, like, I kind of stopped just because, like... It, it was, like, eerily similar to something that I was writing, so I wanted to, like, distance myself from it. So I'd given myself enough time to, like, come back to it, and I'm, like... Interestingly enough, like, the conversation about, like, absurdist and, like, all that stuff, it, it feels like a good example of, like, blending genre and, and kind of creating something that, that feels fresh while also, like, familiar in a, in a good way. I, I uh... I think we talked about it on the show. I loved the, like, there was a camp aspect of that show. That yeah. I think when, at moments, all else failed, the camp was there. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh, I also got, uh, like, I don't know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer vibes every once in a while. I think it's because of the tone. It's not because of anything else. There was just something about the storytelling and that it just went go for broke half the time yeah and it didn't mind uh i thought oh yeah those things probably like go together hand in hand yeah i i definitely see the buffy thing where it does have like a villain of the week like kind of thing where every episode is like a new genre like an almost an entirely new genre that they tackle even though there is like a like a through line in like all like there is a consistent story like i like that every episode is like i'm only on episode five right now uh, yeah. and i just finished it today so like the first episode was just like like very like straightforward and like the second episode was like like yeah it was like a, a magic film and the second one the third one was like which one was the third one the third one was like doing some like weird like they're all like different riffs and stuff and the fourth one was was them going like full on like like adventure film which like, one's the Scooby Doo haunted house one I don't think I've gotten to that one. Oh, that's the that's the third one. I love that one. That was a great episode. That, yeah, yeah, that's the one with the um, with, where it's like the, the she buys the house and it's haunted and and the, she's like seeing a, Letty buys the house and it's haunted with her sister, right? Yeah, and she's being harassed by like the white neighbors. Yeah, that's episode three. That that episode is like pretty great. Where it does like the full haunted house thing. Yeah, it goes like full like like haunted house like ghost horror film, which is like great. It like I just like that it goes like balls out every single episode with whatever genre it's going for. You know, it doesn't hold back. It's like going for it. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that's something you don't really see, especially like with with horror like that. I was just like kind of shocked that there, it was just like complete, like you said, completely campy. Like they don't care about like whatever would be perceived as over the top. That's kind of its strength that it, it goes there consistently. Yeah, no. I'm excited to see how it ends, and I was like disappointed to hear that they didn't renew it. But I'm still, I, I like, I have this feeling like there's something, there's something weird about the fact that it wasn't renewed. And sh- and Misha Green immediately was like, "I'm gonna jump on board Tomb Raider 2. That like, I'm not gonna say it didn't sit right with me because I, I mean I didn't like mind one way or the other, but yeah, I was curious. I was like. Was there a place like? Did they know where they wanted the second season to go? Because if I recall correctly, the the first season is just the book, right? Yeah, the first season just covers the book. I, and th- I'm not sure whether they had, like were confident in their plan, despite the fact that she tweeted out this like, uh, it was like a yeah, it was like a chunk of like their season two bible or something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But I, I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure it was there. I don't know. Yeah, because the show yeah. had like had good like i know it had good viewership i know that it had like a, a good like response from like viewers and from like from critics so it, it is kind of weird that it just got can't like part of me is like was it was it because like getting like wrangling the cast back together to be a problem just because like jonathan majors is like now in like the, the mcu and like it kind of like splintered everyone around but like I don't know. It, like, it, it doesn't seem like like there's a clear enough answer to it, and also like it, it's weird that like it seems that she was like eager to do more, and everyone involved was like, "Yeah, we were ready to do more." 
Some there's a conflict. Somebody was like, no. Yeah. That's all I can think of. One person, one key person was like, I'm good. Yeah. It's probably, I don't know, HBO's been like, maybe it has to do with HBO because their shows have all been like kind of, I don't know, everything they've been coming out with. I tried watching They're focused on limited series. It bored me to death. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's so many limited series. There's so many, like, I I think they're worried of the continuation of a show now. Like, if it goes on for Yeah. They're they're not into, like, serialization anymore. They're, They're more into, like... Which is the funny thing, because Lovecraft was not about that. <laughs> it, exactly. Like, it, it could have been a serial show, but, like, clearly, like, it's designed to be able to escape that, like, that whole aspect of it, because it, it is every, ep- again, like, X-Files-esque, where every episode is, like, the monster of the week, or, like, the genre of the week. So it's, like, it it's not a show that could very easily get, like, tiresome. I don't know. Well, it's, I... Uh... I hope you tell me how you feel about it by the end, because I'm curious now. And uh, I, I actually, I want to bring up something because uh, I don't know however many uh, years ago we met, but uh, I feel like the first one of the first things you were telling me uh, that you were watching or I should watch or I don't know, so on and so forth. Was yeah, you wouldn't shut up about the Sopranos. <laughs> and I didn't. I still like still do not shut up about the Sopranos. And I'm bringing it up for a reason, so bear with me. Yeah. I, I couldn't understand why I was, I don't know, I wasn't 18 yet. It didn't, like, there's no, there's no, there's nothing there for me to go, I'm going to want to watch the show about these, you know, Italian gangsters in, like, Jersey, because that is what most people know the show as. Yeah. So, of course, I had some free time. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to binge The Sopranos within the last, like, <laughs> six months. Apparently, so did, like, the entirety of the country in the, in the pandemic. Like, everyone watched The Sopranos in the pandemic. Which was, I, I couldn't believe it. Because it seemingly was, like, all connected. I bought <laughs> the Sopranos Sessions book that uh, Sites and Seppenwall did. Oh, yeah. And I, just like I did with Mad Men before that, um, I read the book as I was watching the show and i gotta tell you uh back when i was 18 i think i probably would have hated the show um but now that i'm closer to 30 i gotta tell you yeah no that show's amazing (laughs) and um i don't it made me upset because it made me wonder like how i'm going to watch certain things again yeah it makes me like angry the way that the the, each episode is telling its own story and then going into like the next episode and it's about something else and that doesn't happen with that kind of show now no Uh, yeah and so when i hear all these shows being like oh yeah we like thought of the sopranos that'd be great and i go how did you all like miss the memo yeah how did you i feel like everybody like uh, like very deeply misunderstands what made the sopranos the sopranos and it was like david chase's absolute refusal to like be predictable in a way that like made the show constantly like like subverting itself to the point where like it it didn't there's still nothing on tv that resembles that like there still isn't anything on tv that resembles a show that's so like angrily willing to subvert itself and that was the funny thing is even reading the book, David Chase is like the only thing that got close was Mad Men, and he wrote yeah. on my show. Like it's no, exactly. Yeah, Mad Men is very much like a continue. Like that's what I used to tell people who were fans of Mad Men before, like Sopranos had its like revitalization. I was like, if you like Mad Men, you're gonna like the Sopranos because it's they're basically the same show, and like to the point that like Tony Soprano and and Don Draper have near the same exact arc, and the ending has. The ending asks the same question to the two of those characters, and they both have different answers. Which is like, can this person can this person actually change? Is that something that's that's cap- that they're capable of doing? The answer for Tony Soprano is a hard no because he's a murderer and a sociopath. Whereas the answer for Don Draper is like, actually, yeah, because you're not you're just a broken person. That's fixable. It's more on the affirmative for him. Like it's it is very possible. And uh, oh, I can't. This is. I can't even believe I, I forgot about this. Um, I went through my life very happy not having an opinion on the way the, the Sopranos ends. 
I, I very comfortably laughed as people got really, like, upset and, like, bothered about how their opinion of what happened to Tony in the last scene was just oh, yeah. something else, something that. I don't have that um, anger. Like, I don't I don't think about that question because I, I think that question is really, like, uh, I don't know, it's pointless. It, there's really no... It's counterintuitive to what like the show was actually about. Like I, I've always, I, I've, I've had like so many friends who have seen the show, and they're always like, "What do you think happened at the end?" And I'm like, I, honestly, I think he, he, I don't think he died, but like it doesn't matter because the show ends right there. It says everything it needs to, and then it's over. Like it, it, it doesn't matter what happens to him after we cut the black. It's not about that, like at all. That's what. That's essentially what happened. Is now my, my, my theory of the end of the show is I have an anger in me uh towards people who are going to ask me that question because i'm going to tell you it doesn't matter (laughs) it it's not the point if you if you've somehow gotten through this entire show and you the one question you have is did he live or die you need to go back yeah go watch it again you missed something you missed the point you missed the 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 point (laughs) (laughs) um, it's not yeah it's that's the funniest thing about it. It's, I don't think it's really like it genuinely isn't about whether or not he dies. Like, it, it is just about the fact that at that point in his life, like he's so he was given that opportunity to change. He was given all these these chances to like be a different person, and instead he becomes like season six B, six A like poses a question: Can Tony Soprano change? And then six B, the answer is a very hard no. And he becomes the worst version of himself imaginable. And by the end of the show, he's lost everything, and he's just so absolutely terrible and miserable and like everything is falling apart around him and like the relationship with his family is clearly so hollow and it's just like oh man but he's just in that, like diner that feels like it's essentially just enshrined in like his like values and time period that he like perfectly like wants to sit in and he has his family sitting there at the diner but there's all these things yeah that, you know, are always going to bother him the ring at the fucking door the guy that, or the gangster that goes into uh the bathroom that you know obviously we think oh he's gonna get whacked it's th- that diner is everything in his head that's yeah. his life right and and that's the interesting thing that's where i'm like i want to talk about that i don't want to talk about whether whether or not he, he died because it doesn't matter <laughs> Also, like, my genuine belief, and I tell this to people all the time, and it changes the way they view the ending, is if Tony Soprano got shot in that diner, that's an easy way out for him because he's a terrible person. Yeah. <laughs> that's no, an that's easy way out. Up. It's an easy way out for him because especially, like, honestly, if, if anything's going to happen to him after the show, he's going to go down exactly like Johnny Sack did and go to prison and die a very slow, painful death while his family goes broke because of all the terrible shit he's done. He's been shot on two separate occasions. He came out with these epiphanies and did nothing with them nothing he did and nothing with them he did absolutely nothing he, he you think there are moments you get james gandolfini's performance really like fools you into thinking that he has like come to some great epiphany of his life i mean he also like to be fair in 5a like he is i mean 6a he he is like a better person for most of it like the, the stuff with like with uh what's his name with Vito, and he's the only one it's like guys go in the can and they do that shit like why are we mad about him doing it outside and it's like why why is tony the voice of reason for once and then like immediately just like the second half rolls around and he just goes straight down <laughs> yeah yeah no it's anyways uh it's a fantastic show obviously a contender to be my favorite if not one of my favorites obviously it's one of my favorites uh and i just wanted to say uh first off i hate you for telling me about it uh second thank you so I'm much happy for telling th- me about it <laughs> i'm happy that the whole world is like finally come back around to supreme because like i was like obviously a huge fan of it but like that was like, at a time where like everybody was watching it and then it was off the air for like x amount of years and like it kind of like faded away from the like the like the collective consciousness and i'm like you guys are forgetting that this is like the best show ever made yeah and it how does something still feel so ahead of its time 20 years later who knows yeah on, on the d on the the blu-ray box set there's a great soderbergh quote about it and soderbergh calls it uh the 2001 a space odyssey of television where it's like there's every show before sopranos and every show after sopranos and like 
it changed everything and, and nothing will ever be the same because of it in the same way that like still watching 2001 a space odyssey it still feels groundbreaking despite the fact that like it changed cinematic language for good it's still like soprano still feels groundbreaking watching it despite the fact that it's clearly the inspiration for everything that came after it it's just like it's hard to like capture that kind of magic again where it was just like also to be fair like they were they were the first people to pioneer that kind of like writing that kind of like i mean there was twin peaks and stuff like that before in the past and twin peaks was a huge influence on on sopranos but it didn't have the same kind of like i don't know the, the, like the freedom that they had obviously because lynch was limited by like abc yeah it never got to there was no chance for it to expand outward yeah like sopranos just was constantly like amorphous like the first three seasons were almost like a satire and then like going into like season three like it it almost completely changed it's like its style and tone and then like after season four onwards it's like what most people consider like a prestige drama now but it's like it is simultaneously all those things throughout like that is still one of the funniest shows on tv (laughs) like that show is hysterical it has no right being as hysterical as it is because it's so fucked up but it's like genuinely fucking hysterical because everyone in the show is dumb yeah they're really stupid people and uh it's just fun to be around them (laughs) like every yeah. once in a while i mean everything paulie has to say is like it's like hysterical and then he's running around like murdering old women and it's like these people are terrible <laughs> it's scary how much it reminded me of like the like i don't know i feel like we both uh encountered some pretty terrible people in our youth that oh yeah we we loved based off the charisma of the of themselves that they believed so much in uh who they were that you couldn't help but be like oh that's a fun guy yeah exactly no absolutely yeah there's people like that who are just like i i mean there there's definitely something to be said about people like that in the world who, who get away with things like that because of the fact that they are like charming sociopaths like I, yeah the image of, of a sociopath being somebody who's like the joker who's just constantly like pushing people away and like genuinely unruly is like mostly untrue in reality when it's like people like that who are like who do everything with a wink and a smile and charm everybody to death yeah all right, well, before I close it out, um, i got to ask you, we're talking Sopranos. Yeah. Uh, Many Saints in Newark comes out, is that later this month or early October? Oh, yeah. I think it's early October or maybe later this month. I'm, I'm, I'm unsure. All right, thoughts? Uh, I, so I, I love David Chase. I'm going to watch it no matter what, and I'm going to take it for what the fuck it is instead of like looking at it as, as a continuation or even though it is a prequel to the Sopranos, I'm not going to view it as that. I'm going to view it as its own film first because it's a movie. It's not, it is obviously Sopranos related, but like, I'm not going to walk into it expecting exactly what the Sopranos was. Cause that'd be stupid. Also because like it's been over like 10 years and David Chase has obviously changed as both a writer and a filmmaker. So like, I'm, I'm just going to go into that completely. Like, no expectations ready to like let it wash over me i uh i, I watched that trailer and it scared the shit out of me because that trailer is pretty much the last thing i want out of this movie um and then i yeah. read the rolling stone article uh i think yesterday or the day before and i was i felt an ease wash over me there, i didn't read the, the stones article Oh, uh, David Chase said he was also very upset with the first trailer. And, <laughs> that's good um, to hear. He's like, that's not the movie. The movie uh, is about uh, Christopher's dad. And I, f- oh, God, that felt nice. Felt nice yeah. to hear. I'm, on, I'm back on board. Whatever it's about, I don't care. I'll probably that, watch it twice. We're fine. That's the thing that also is like t- to have to take with, it, with a grain of salt with the trailer for The Sopranos. It's like it's being for many saints it's being advertised to like the main fan base of the sopranos which are people who are like yeah i love that mob show yeah so like that's very much what it was and it had like you know uh the sun front and center young tony yeah a lot of tony soprano in it and i was just like oh man this is getting sopranos wonder years oh god yeah my fear (laughs) yeah but no i've definitely heard that like the main character of the film is 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 dickie moltisanti yeah so and like tony is more like he's around he's obviously not like 
ancillary. Like he's a major character, but it is about Dicky, which I think is really fascinating. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm stoked. But uh, yeah, Conti, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, this is where I do the show notes. Uh, you can find Film Fallout every month on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, as well as anything else that pulls an RSS feed. You can still find Chris's film writing at TiltMagazine.net and GoombaStomp.com. Please feel free to share the podcast with anyone who may enjoy it, and please rate and subscribe on iTunes to help us spread the word as much as possible. You can also find us and the podcast on Twitter. I am at DreamingTheLess, that's Dreaming without the G. And I believe Chris is at HammerCopCross with HammerCop with a K. And next month, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the Vancouver International Film Festival, which hasn't announced its lineup, of course, but I'm sure it will be pretty good. Sabotage the things I love the most